Thanks, Norm. We're going to be in Psalm 119, starting at verse uh, 137 this morning. If you're using the Bibles located in uh, the chairs in front of you, it's going to be on page 515. Uh, While you're turning there, uh, some of you have asked about a little couple personal items. Number one, we did survive the marathon last week, the half marathon. Thanks for those who prayed for us. Darcy did finish about 45 minutes ahead of me, so, Uh, but that was a lot of fun, and What's that? Yeah, finishing is what counts. Yep, yep. I limped across. And, um, and thanks to Pastor Dave for filling in for me last week. Uh, you, some of you have also asked, uh, we did get an update. We saw the ultrasound of the baby last week. And uh, Darcy's now at 21 weeks today. So quick update for those of you wanting to know about that. So it is a boy. The earlier test was correct. So we're still on track for that. Good. Today we're going to talk about righteousness. As we've seen in the stanzas, some of the different stanzas, there's a repeated word that comes up again and again and again. Now, some commentators just chalk this up to the fact that certain letters only have a few words that start with that letter. Like when you go into a preschool or kindergarten room, and every time when you see the alphabet, it's either an X-ray or a xylophone for the X. Now, that's one way to look at it, but I do, I, it's got to be bigger because our God is not a God of coincidence. And I think we need to take advantage of these stanzas where one word is repeated again and again and again. And this word today is righteousness or righteous. And we need to take some time to define that because this is one of those theological words that unless you're a surfer from the 80s and 90s or one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you don't really use in common parlance. Righteous, man. <laughs> We've got to bring that back. We've got to bring that back. Um, but we need to define these terms because sometimes we can see one of these words, one of these theological words, and we just sort of brush over it because we just, well, that's one of those words. One of those long words that means something about Jesus, and let's move on. It's also good to define these because when new believers or people who have not grown up in church, guess what? When they hit these words, they hit it like a brick wall. And so we as believers need to be able to give a definition to those younger in faith than us. And it's something that we cannot assume anymore. We cannot assume that people know what righteousness is, and maybe we could have 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so we need to be smart about reading. We need to be smart about how to communicate. And so I want to talk a little bit about righteousness this morning. Righteousness refers to ethical perfection. It refers to justice. So when you show righteousness to someone else or you exhibit righteousness within a relationship... That can be called justice. 
And righteousness also refers to perfect truth. One word picture that we have in our Bible, it's one of the few times that righteousness is, is not completely used in a theological way, is in the book of Leviticus. And the Moses, in writing Leviticus, refers to measurements that were used in the marketplace. He refers to them as righteous. And so in Leviticus 19.36, he says, you shall have just or righteous balances, just and righteous weights, a just and righteous ephah, which is a measurement usually of grain, and a just or righteous hin, which is a measurement of wine or liquid. And the idea here is that there is a standard of measurement in the marketplaces, that it would be unjust to not have a pound be a pound, that it would be unrighteous to have different units of measurements. Think about if you went to a grocery store and you wanted some produce and you used one of those little baskets that they have right near the produce and you put it in and it said two pounds. But then when you went to the cashier and they put it on their little scale, it said 10 pounds and they charged you for the 10 pounds. Okay, that would be unrighteous. That there's no standard, there's no justice being done in there. You, would, you wouldn't go back to that grocery store. You know, if they're changing their weights, if you don't know what one pound is, you're not going to go there because there's no true and right standard of measurement that they are using to charge you money. And so they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to cheat you. So when we talk about righteousness, there's this idea of one right standard, morally, ethically, and justly. And in Psalm 145, we see that the standard of righteousness is God himself. Psalm 145, verse 17 says this, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. And today as we look at Psalm 19, I want to show you the importance of the righteousness of God. Because you could say to yourself, okay Jim, God is a good God, God is a righteous God, how does that change my life? Well as you look at our big idea, that's what we're going to see this morning if you're following along with your bulletin. The big idea is this, that our righteous God has given us his righteous word with everything we need for righteous living. And I want you to see today how righteousness will change your life and change how you view your Bible. So let's first look, and yeah, I know that the outline looks totally different from any other time, but just go with me on this one. Look at A1 there. God's word is spoken by a righteous God. The beginning of verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord. There it begins, this psalm begins with a declaration of the righteousness, of the holiness, of the godliness of God, of the perfection of God 
of God. And in hearing this declaration, this proclamation of truth about God, one thing that I need to see is that I am not. That when I look at the perfections of God, one of the things I need to understand is that I am not. I am not righteous. That I am in need of a righteous Savior because I am wicked, sinful, and unrighteous. Romans 3.10 says it this way, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. That, that when I look at the perfection of God, I cannot help but see my imperfection. And my need for righteousness. I can't be in relationship with a righteous God without my own righteousness. Thankfully, Romans 3 continues on with this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so if there's one thing you hear today about the righteousness of God is that when we, when we stare into the righteous face of God, we need to see our unrighteousness, but we also praise God that he made a way to get rid of our unrighteousness, to give us the righteousness of Christ through Jesus' death and our believing in that death putting our personal trust in Jesus Christ. God is righteous. I am not. I need a righteous Savior, and God has provided that in Jesus Christ. That's one implication of the righteous character of God, but the righteous character of God also has implications about his word. Look at the next part of verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. And that leads us to A2 there on your outline. If God is righteous, then God always speaks truth. The word there that right are your rules is the idea of straight or upright in that they are always true and always correct. In fact, God gives us a metaphor or a word picture for this in our Bibles with the idea of a plumb line. Isaiah 28:17 says this, and I will make the justice I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And so when we say that God's word is right or upright or straight, as that word says, that it is always true, that it is like a plumb line on our life. Now I want you to think about what a plumb line is. A plumb line is a string that has a weight at the bottom. I know it's a little more complicated than that, but go with me on this one. That's literally, in essence, what it is. 
And what you do is you take the string and you hold it next to whatever you're building and you drop the weight and you wait for it to stop swinging and that tells you what is perfectly straight vertically. That it's a guide. And God's word is that for us. That God's word, because it is spoken by a righteous God, is always a guide for truth. It's like that plumb line to which we can line up our life. That any situation, we can hold up God's word as a source of truth. And since it is always true, it will never lead you astray. It's not that God's word is 85% true or 50% true. But it is always true. Because to speak falsely is unrighteous, and God is not unrighteous. And so God's character, God's righteousness, guarantees that everything he says is always true. And it can be a guide to our lives. Any advice or wisdom you glean from the Bible is always true, is always the best advice. I want you to think about people you get advice from. Maybe there are certain people in your life that you, you know if you need advice, you go to them. Well, they will be wrong no matter who they are sometime. There will be times where they give you wrong advice. Sometimes it's no fault of their own. But what God's word is, because it is a righteous God giving it to us, that God's word never leads us astray. That God's word is that standard of living and that standard of holiness that will never leave us astray. But that also means that God's word will sometimes tell us we're wrong. And it's good, you know, sometimes if if we want something like advice from God's word, like we're okay with that. But I think where the rubber really hits the road is when God's word says something opposite of what we think. And because it is the righteous standard of God, because it is never wrong, when when we disagree with God's word, we're the ones who are wrong. And I'm going to say something, and it's going to sound overly simplistic, but I think it's hugely important because I think this phrase takes a lifetime to learn and experience. And it's this. When God's word and I disagree, I need to change. And don't fool yourselves. There are those, and sometimes it's us, too, where we want to sort of tweak what God's word says. Because when we disagree, we still want to be right. And this is a huge temptation. And that's why I say it takes a lifetime to learn, even though it's ridiculously simple. That when we are confronted by the word of God, we have to change. We can't change God's word. 
Because we are not righteous, but God and his word are righteous. This is why Paul can say in the oft-quoted 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we just need to speak plainly here that there will be times where we need to correct ourselves by Scripture. That there are times, yes, of encouragement by Scripture, but there are also times of conviction and change and rebuke from Scripture. The times when you don't want to hear Scripture. But maybe those are the times where we need to be listening the most. Maybe one of the reasons it's hard to listen is that to not listen would be to stay in our sin. And that's what we want to do. But God has given us his righteous word to confront ourselves, to confront one another in love, but to show his righteous rules to show his righteousness, to show that his truth never changes and is never wrong. And it calls for us to humbly submit to the authority of God's word. When you hear God's word spoken or taught, whether up here in the pulpit or in our Sunday schools or whatever, it's not the authority of the person speaking, but it's the authority of God's word that confronts us and confronts us even in our sin when we don't want it to, when we want to stay in that sin and we don't want to change because that's how we've always done it and it's comfortable and I like it and if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we're saying. But we need to understand that God's word is always true even when we don't want it to be. Secondly, because God is righteous and his word is always true, God's word is always trustworthy. Look at verse 138. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. The psalmist tells us that God has appointed his word in righteousness, that God has given us his word with all of the righteousness that God has as God. So this means that God has spoken to us in his word in a righteous way. In a way that is truthful. In a way that is authoritative as we have already seen. But in this verse, he also adds, in all faithfulness. And there's a connection. There's a connection that the psalmist makes between the righteousness of God and the faithfulness of God. And one thing that we need to see here in this text is that God's righteousness makes possible his faithfulness. You can't have a faithful God, you can't have a trustworthy God without him being a righteous God. The idea is this, that since our God is righteous, he never does anything wrong, he has to keep every promise he makes. Because to make a promise and break it is unrighteousness. And if God is righteous, he cannot break promises. 
And sometimes, see, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes we think that the righteousness of God is like his mean side. You know, we think there's like love and there's righteousness. And like, we like the loving part, but the righteous part, we just wish he'd chill out, you know, and take a breather and just relax a little bit. Maybe, you know, go out on the beach, maybe take some time fishing, you know. God, just, just sort of relax a little bit, man. You know, it's the island, okay? Um, but we can't have a loving God. We can't have a trustworthy God without his righteousness. Because he's righteous, he can keep every promise. Think about this. Look at 1 John 1, 8 to 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even the confession of sin is predicated on the righteousness of God. Because he has made a promise that if we confess it, he will forgive it. Without his righteousness, he'd be free to just say, well, you know what? You've confessed a little too much lately, and come on. You know, this, it's, it's a little much. I'm a little overwhelmed with you right now. You've come to me too many times, and I can't do it. But he doesn't do that because he's righteous. Because he will always keep his promises. He will always do the right thing, and he will always keep his word. Because he is righteous, he is able to say in Joshua 1 verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He can only make that promise out of his righteousness. And since he is righteous, he will keep that promise. And because God's word is trustworthy, we respond by clinging completely to God's word. Look at B2 there. So since God's word is always trustworthy, therefore God's word is treasured. Let me read verses 139 to 141. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. In verses 139 to 141, the author gives us three descriptions of his response to the trustworthiness of God's word. The first one is zeal. Look at verse 139. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. There is a holy jealousy for God's word. The word zeal there can also be translated as jealousy, depending on the context. And the idea here is of a singular commitment to God's word. Just as we are to have a jealousy for our spouse, that there is a commitment where no one else is allowed into that relationship, we have the same for God's word. That there is a commitment that is not given to any other. Because no other word is trustworthy. No other word is righteous. 
No other word deserves our commitment. And notice, it does not change when others reject. Look at the second part of verse 139. Because my foes forget your words. There are those who reject God's word, and the psalmist will not give in to that peer pressure. He will not change because others change. Our commitment to God's word, because it is the only righteous word, cannot be influenced by the rejection of others. And what's that, what that is assuming is that others will want you to join them in their rejection of God's word. But why would you want to go anywhere else? The psalmist says, I have jealousy for God's word. I have this, this singular commitment to God's word because it is the only trustworthy word. And those who have rejected it are running to unrighteous things. They are running to things that are not trustworthy. And so when we recognize that God's righteous word is trustworthy, there is a commitment to God's word and God's word alone. Next, we see that he loves God's word. Verse 140. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. Psalmist proclaims his love of God's word. And again, because of God's righteousness, that word is trustworthy. And, And he loves it because it is, as it says in verse 140, well tried. God's word has stood the test of time. God keeping his promises has stood the test of time. Over and over throughout history, God has shown his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. I think this is one of the reasons that there are so many narratives in your Bible. Because every story points towards the grace of God towards sinners. And it's always been grace, and it always will be grace, and so it means that today I am a recipient of the grace of God, even though I'm a sinner. And so these stories knock us over the head with the trustworthy nature of God. Every story points us to his grace and points us to our need of it. Think about the sacrifice of Isaac and God providing a ram to die in the place of Isaac. He did it back then and he did it on the cross with Jesus. All of these stories reinforce that God's promises are well tried and trustworthy. And again, he can only do that because of his righteousness. Because it would be unrighteous to break his promise. Thirdly, he responds by recognizing his need for God's word. Look at verse 141. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. The psalmist shows his need for the promises of God. That on his own, he would be destroyed he recognizes how small he is. And he recognizes 
that he survives by the promises of God. And so he can have hope. He can have a good future because God's promises never fail and he recognizes his need for the promises of God. And it's easy for us to forget that need. When you look at the country we've been blessed with, when you look at how much stuff we have as a culture and how much influence we have over the entire world as a country, how many rights we have as American citizens, it's easy to forget that we, like the psalmist, are still small and despised and that we have a great need for the promises of God to be true. Next, I want us to see that God's word is always righteous. Look at verse 142. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Verse 142 again speaks to the enduring nature of the righteousness of God. There is never a time when God will not be righteous. And while probably the first time you read it, you had to go back and make sure you read it correctly, it does in fact say, your righteousness is righteous forever. That there is no time where God is not righteous. God is not just righteous as long as he can muster the strength to do so. Or he's not just righteous for 50 years, but then he just sort of dwindles off and makes mistakes. No, God is righteous forever, and because he is, his law, his word, is true. And if his righteousness is forever, then the truth of his word is forever. The truth in his word does not change. It was true yesterday, it's true today, and it'll still be true tomorrow. But why does that matter? How how does that change how I live my life today? Look at verse 143. So God's word is always righteous. Therefore, I have joy no matter the circumstances. 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. The reason you should care that your Bible is always true is that it stays true even when your life changes around you. In the worst of circumstances, those circumstances cannot, no matter how big they are, cannot change the truth of God's word. Because sometimes the circumstances feel bigger. They feel bigger than everything else. They even feel bigger than God. They feel more powerful than God. They feel like they have more power on your life than the God of the universe. But circumstances change. And the truth of God's word does not. And so we can have joy through God's word, even in trouble and anguish. And I'm saying that you can have it, but I'm not saying it's easy. But we can 
persevere in joy. And maybe that's something we just need to think about for a while, that God's word allows us to persevere in joy because joy is hard work. But the basis for that hard work is the foundation of God's unchanging word. That when I feel like my joy is being stolen from me, I go back to the rock that is God's word. And that it is always there and it is always true. And the promises that are found in there are always for my good. The author then brings up again, God's word is always righteous. Look at the beginning of verse 144. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. So again, the the beginning of verse 144 sort of repeats in slightly different words, verse 142. And again, there's that repetition. Again, he declares the enduring righteous nature of God's word. And again, as we've seen time and time again, when the Bible repeats something, there's a reason. And sometimes that reason is our thick-headedness. And that we need to hear again and again, God declaring through his word, my word does not change. My word is always righteous. But instead of talking about joy, in verse 144, we see the second part there, that God's word is always righteous. Therefore, when I understand, I find life. Look at the second part of verse 144. Give me understanding that I may live. That when we understand God's word, when we immerse ourselves in God's word, that is where we find life. And we've seen this come up again and again in this psalm. The idea that real life is found in Jesus Christ. That if you want the abundant life that Jesus promised, it is only found through him. It is only found through immersing yourself in his word. But it's also based on the righteousness of God. So follow the logic here. God loves us, therefore God wants what is best for us. Okay, that one we can pretty understand pretty quickly. So if God loves us, he wants what's best for us. But when you add into that righteousness... So God is not only loving, he's also righteous. Therefore, since he is righteous, he will actually do what is best for us. Again, I I may have the best intentions in the world, but if I can't do anything about it, then it's pretty worthless. But God not only has the best motivation, but he has the ability to do so by his character. And to not give us what he knows is best for us would be unrighteous. And so it would go against the very character of God. And if he wants what's best for us, he's told us through his word because he's a righteous God. Again, he wants what's best for us and then he actually tells us what is best for us. And since he doesn't lie, we can actually believe him. So when he's revealed in his word what is best for us, We know he's not lying because he's a righteous God. So you can actually trust what he says. 
And so we should pay attention to what he says. And so he can say through the psalmist, give me understanding that I may live. That the abundant life, the best life, and again, this is no promise of money and power, not that best life, because that's not your best life. But what God knows is the best life for you is available through his word. And we can count on that promise. We can believe God's word because he is a righteous God. He will not lie. He will not lead you astray. And he will never break any promise he makes to you. And that's why you should care about righteousness this morning. We need to understand that our righteous God has given us his righteous word with everything we need for righteous living. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your righteous word that is trustworthy, that is always true. And God, that we would humbly submit ourselves to your word that we would find abundant life, that we would find freedom, and that we would that we would see your love for us guaranteed by your righteousness. God, we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that you never lie, that you never cheat us, and that even in our unrighteousness, you sent your Son to be our righteousness so that we could be reunited with you forever by placing our personal trust in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.